Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to Car Wash, the podcast. Hey, this episode is sponsored by G&G LED. G&G LED recently launched Color Wash, their new DMX lighting control system for car washes. Color Wash takes all the lighting in a tunnel, the arch effects, the mood lighting, and the ambient white, and creates stunning light shows for the ultimate customer experience. Set yourself apart using the power of color to attract new business and keep those repeat customers coming back for more. Learn more at ggled.net slash colorwash. Welcome to Car Wash, the podcast. Your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. So put it in neutral, feed off the brakes, and take your hands off the steering wheel. Because here we go. Here is your guide on this journey. David Begin of Begin Insights. Hello, Car Wash Nation. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Car Wash, the podcast, the podcast that makes you a great car washer and a slightly better human being. With me today is my guest, Claudia St. John, who's a CEO of Affini HR Group. She has worked in the car wash industry probably for the last three to five years. Is that yeah. fair? That's fair. She's helped a myriad of car wash owners with their HR issues. It's a big regulatory task for any car wash owner, and she's made it easier for many in our industry, including myself. So I appreciate that. She has a great blog that she puts out on Monday or an email. Is that correct? Is it a blog? Yeah, or email? yeah it's an email. And it's also on our blog. Yeah, it's all over the place. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of last year, beginning of this year, she put together the 10 lessons she's learned over the last year. And obviously being an HR person, she's a lot more attentive and aware to the HR issues in organizations, but she put together a 10 lessons learned in 2020. And I wanted to review that with her because I thought it was really compelling and interesting. What made you decide to do these 10 lessons learned? It was under duress. I was forced into it. <laughs> It was actually 2020 was our 10 years in business. So Affinity HR Group was formed in 2010. And so my team, as we were sort of planning how to celebrate, one question that they kept asking me was, what have you learned? And I kept thinking, what have I learned? I don't think I've learned. I think I keep learning the same things over and over again. But they did ask me to put together this 10 lessons learned. This is also what happens when you hire a really good marketing and communications person. They kind of make you go through these exercises, which I was happy just to skim right through 2020 and not worry about 10 years. That was the impetus. I was basically dragged into it by my staff who are amazing and they made me do this. And Good. it was really hard. It was really, really hard, I have to say. It looks easy, but I'm sure it was hard. It was hard. <laughs> I thought it was easy until I started to do it. And I thought, what have I learned in 10 years, really? And probably putting them in the right order was probably as difficult as coming up with the lessons. It but was. I love number 10. So we'll start with number 10 and work our way down to number one. But okay. I was talking to somebody who is a young guy who's just starting out his career, who wants to own his own business, wants to be a leader. And he said, what's the difference between a good leader and a bad leader? And I think this number 10 really answers that. Num number 10 and number one really answer the question. But we'll start with number 10, which is our culture is a reflection of our personal biases. So you want to Give us some ideas on that. There's a great Chinese proverb, which is the fish rots from the head down. 
And it also is healthy from the head down. What I don't think I realized when I started off in business was that I thought I brought the right people and we defined the culture and we would end up with our culture. But what we really ended up with is our own biases. So who we are as a company are really a combination of what we honestly believe. And that's really great. The difference between a good leader and a bad leader is how strongly held their due north is, how strongly they hold their convictions. Do they keep their promises? Are they trustworthy? And those are really issues that embed themselves within an organization. And if you don't walk the walk and talk the talk, you will not end up with the culture that you intend, even if the core values that you have on your mugs and on your mouse pads say so. It really is. I didn't realize it was going to be all about me and my beliefs. I just didn't expect that. And it turns out it is. I'm glad I didn't know that then because that would have been terrifying to me. So that does force you to have a pretty high level of self-awareness and to rigorously question your beliefs. And you need somebody... I'm a big advocate of coaching and having coaches in business. You need to have somebody else that can kind of question your belief system. What was a bias? I'll share one with you of mine. What was one that you had that you felt like that you've changed over the last 10 years? For me, one of the biases is that I am not comfortable selling. I am not comfortable just calling up and saying, because every business coach said, you're in HR compliance. The way you get people to hire you is by scaring them. And that just felt like I was lying and cheating. And it didn't feel like who we were. Instead, we like to be friends with people. So we lead through relationships. And I've always felt more comfortable leaning on relationships than leaning on some other sales tactic that might be advised. I think that's interesting. And one of the biases I had when I first started in car washing is I used to work in technology organizations. Most of the people were very highly motivated. They were looking to move their career. You know, they wanted to work hard. And when I went into the car wash business and started hiring generally unskilled workers, I had a bias toward unskilled workers that they didn't want to work as hard, that they didn't make the same choices I made in life. And so I had this bias about employees, which I think didn't serve me or serve the organizations. And I eventually changed that bias. And I think it made a big, big difference. But I think the biases that you have about your employees, what do you believe about your employees? Do you believe that your employees want to do the very best they can? Or do you believe that your employees want to get away with everything they can get away with and put in the absolute minimum amount of work? Both of those stories are true. But which one (laughs) serves you in the way that you want to believe about your employees? And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to start choosing that to believe that for the most part, my employees want to do a great job. They want to grow. They want to please the organization. And just that shift in mindset made a big, big difference for me. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Good. And that also speaks to the power of positive feedback. If you think they're doing a great job, they're going to do a great job. That's right. And if you think that they don't do a good job, if you think they're just trying to take money from you, they're going to do the minimum amount of work and that's what they're going to do. And that's what you're going to get. Yep. So good, good. Okay. Number nine was hire carefully and intentionally. Yes. This is also a bias. I figured that people that I liked were like me. 
and that if we all got along really well, that we would have a very successful business. And it turned out I chase rainbows and shiny things. I'm just, <laughs> I am so scattered. I create new things every day and I finish almost none of them. I'm very creative and I think everything's a great idea. And I hired a lot of people just like me. We made no money and we were really bumping along the first year or two. It was like, I don't know if we can do this. And I intentionally hired people that were the opposite behavioral style from me because I realized if everybody thought my ideas were a great idea, then that would be bad because I know a lot of my ideas are really stupid. And somebody needs to be able to tell me that. I really hired for a diversity of behavioral perspective. And we used the DISC behavioral model. And I relied on that tool a lot. And I was able to round out my team with people who were very skeptical and who were very cautious and who were very reserved and who were very dominant. And having that diversity of perspective around me, I mean, I get frustrated way more now because I hate being told no. And I hate being told I can't do something. I hate being told that a pet project is a loser, but they're almost always right. So it has saved us a lot of heartache and a lot of mistakes by having that diversity of perspective. Yeah. And that's the big challenge in the car wash industry is to hire carefully and intentionally because most times you've got a labor shortage and you're just trying to fill the role. But the owners that I've met with and spent time with that make hiring a part of their business, a lot of us just hate hiring and training and so we try to rush it. We try to hurry it up so we can get on with the other things that we need to do in running the business. But if you make it part of the business, make it part of your organization, and you put some emphasis on it, and you realize it's not going to go away. And then you try to develop good processes for hiring. Those are the businesses, I think, that over time do a lot better. Absolutely. If all you're trying to do is get somebody who doesn't fog a mirror, then all you will end up is somebody who doesn't fog a mirror, you know, or fogs a mirror. If all you want is a breathing heart, then that's not enough to get you to the next level. So being right. intentional, I think, is critical. Even when you're hiring, quote unquote, unskilled people, you need to hire intentionally. Absolutely. So very much so. Good, good. So number eight is know your limitations and don't be afraid to ask for help. So why do we as business owners think we have to have all the answers, Claudia? That's a really interesting <laughs> question because what I will tell you is... I kind of was shocked to discover that I still had a business 10 years later because I don't know whether it's that fraud syndrome or that imposter syndrome. I never felt like I had any of the answers. And so I was always, I'm kind of surprised now that I've gotten to a point where I do have the answers. And I think there's a diversity of perspective. I think that sometimes people are overly critical of themselves and are fearful that they don't have the answers. And so they need some support. But I also think a lot of folks feel like they're supposed to and feel like they do have the answers, but maybe they don't. And I think on either side of that spectrum, wherever you're coming at leadership from, having somebody that you can be vulnerable with to say, I don't know, to say, I'm thinking about this, that this may be a bad idea. I truly believe in the power of vulnerability and having somebody to be my coach, having somebody to lean on, having somebody to be honest and say, and it happened to me probably about four years ago, we'd reached a level. I could not get past that level of business. We were at this one revenue point and I could not get beyond it because it required to get from point A to get to the next level required a completely different mindset. 
And I didn't have it. I didn't know how to do it. I hired some folks to really help me revisit the whole business model and what we were doing. Could have never done that without having a coach, without having somebody give fresh eyes that I trusted on my business. Yeah, I've always been a big proponent of coaches and coaching. I think you'd make an awesome coach. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. But I think you bring up a good point about it's important to be vulnerable. And I've seen business owners afraid to do that. And it alienates you from your employees. They need to know you're just as human, that you don't have all the answers either. But your skill set as the owner is you've got a way to go find out the answers where maybe some of the employees don't have that skill set or don't have that mindset that you're going to push through until you get the answer. But I think a lot of times business owners do themselves a disservice in their business when they don't show that they're human, that they don't have all the answers. And we see that in COVID more than any. Nobody has an answer. And if you go out and say, oh, I know, nobody believes you. You have to be able to say, I don't know, but I'm doing my best to work on this. And I promise I will not stop until we get through this. I've got your back. I just don't know what that looks like. And that in itself is what people want. They don't want you to have every answer. They just want to know that you authentically care and you're trying. Agreed. So number seven, when in doubt, say yes. That's a very interesting one. (laughs) Well, this is what got me in trouble in the beginning of my business. I have always been of the mindset that opportunities happen to you for a reason and that being open to doing something different, taking a risk, looking at something differently has always opened up something new. And so I have always been of, and this is more culturally me, and I can promise you there are employees of mine who hate this about me. And I think this is also sort of like that salesy kind of extroverted type of person who just wants to please and say yes and do something new. A lot of folks wish I wouldn't do that. But every time when presented with an opportunity, I have always said, I don't know what I'm doing. So I've been vulnerable. I don't know if we can make this work. So I'm not making false promises or over promising, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try and see if we can make it work. And every time we've had that opportunity, we've always, with really very limited exceptions, we've always succeeded and gone somewhere different and created new opportunities. So I'm kind of a yes junkie when it comes to doing something different and exploring another opportunity. I think that's interesting. That's very good. You probably have to push yourself to say yes, or are you naturally a yes person? I have to push myself to say no, actually, because I also, you know, if somebody who's interesting and has a creative idea comes along, I also, I love creating new things. So I always want to do something new. I always want to do something different. I've really struggled during COVID because I've had to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again from the comfort of my own office by myself. That's been very stressful for me. I like being around people. I like creating new things. So yes is, yeah, I should say no more often. (laughs) Interesting. I've been focusing on saying no more often because- It's a skill. I have a yes addiction. Yeah, exactly. And I got myself in- Two or three years ago, we were just, my partner and I, business partner, were into so many things. And I realized we're not doing any of them very well. And we're just going bouncing from one thing to one thing. So I've tried to narrow. I'm still in the process of trying to narrow what I'm doing. But I think the ability for me to focus is I'm going to have to eliminate a lot of extraneous ideas. Because I'm like you, I come up with ideas all the time. But I have to say, no, I'm not working on that. I'm working on this. Saying no is a real talent. And actually, I have a whole course on how to say no. 
how oh, good. to respond to requests. Yeah, it's a whole presentation because it's so hard. It it's is. so hard for so many of us. Yeah. When you become opportunity aware, so if you're a business owner, an entrepreneur, or you're looking for opportunities, I'm trying to teach a young person how to be aware of opportunities. Because once your radars tune in to opportunities, opportunities are, there's so many of them. I'm trying to teach him on how to be aware of that. But for some of us who need to kind of buckle down and get busy, that can almost be a little bit dangerous by looking at all the opportunities around us. So interesting. And that's why I hire a diverse team. That's why I have the team that I do because they are my governors. They are my regulators because if left to my own devices, I would be a hamster on a wheel going nowhere really, really fast. So I need that discipline and they give me that. Good, good. So that's a good one. I like that. So number six is choose your clients well. So that can also translate into car washing. You've got customers, you might have 50 clients, I'm just guessing right now, but you know, in the car wash industry, we have thousands of customers. And so, but I think the story can apply to both. So yes, and then I'll circle back on the car wash issue because I do think it's the same. And that is, I'll never forget the day of success when we had enough business that we were able to fire a client. And we all remember that day. And the reason why we wanted to fire that client was because they were super great with me because I'm the business owner. But when they would talk to my consultants or my team, they were rude. They were condescending. They did not keep their promises. They were just really bad clients and had terrible manners with my team in, in a way that they would never show those manners to me. And I remember being able to fire them and saying, we treat each other with respect. We treat you with respect. And if you are unable to do that with my team, this is not going to work. We've also not taken on a lot of projects like employee engagement, employee satisfaction. We want to be the greatest employer in the world. And so will you do an employee satisfaction survey? I oftentimes turn those down because I don't think those leaders really do want to look introspectively at their own businesses. They just want something to stick on their marketing sheet. And so I think being able to be in a position to say, I just don't think we're aligned. I just don't think our values match up. And that's not to say that ours are good and yours are bad, but I just don't think there's an alignment and not taking work that would put us in a position to be that way. What happens when you say that from their standpoint? Are they shocked? Or are they? Yes, they're shocked. They're always shocked. And in every situation in every time that I can recall, and it's only happened a handful of times, they've tried to convince us not to fire them. It's kind of like in the dating realm, when you say, no, I'm not interested, all of a sudden they want you that much more. It's the same in business as well. But in one or two occasions, we did try to go back and try again, and it didn't work. Those core value, those differences, those approaches, they're not gonna change. In the car wash, David, I got a call from a car wash owner a week ago because he had a couple of employees who were minority employees, and there was a couple cars that had the Confederate flag on their bumper sticker. They said to the employer, I don't want to get in that car and put that car on the, it was oil change, it wasn't car wash. I don't want to get in that car and I don't want to put that car on the rack. And the owner called me and said, I don't know what to do about that. And I think that in even in car washes or oil changes, we do come into conflict and we do have choices about who we're going to engage and who we're not going to engage. And if they are rude or if they are offensive or if they have 
some form of perceived hate speech. I think those are good opportunities to have conversations with employees about what you believe and to make those kinds of decisions. Every time I fired a client, I've always strengthened the relationship with my employees every single time because I did it for them. I couldn't agree more. And some customers are not good customers. And if they're that frustrated about your services, then I just say, you know, this is not a good fit. There are other car washes you might want to go to. You might want to go to a full service car wash if your expectations are super high or go to this car wash because they're, they might be different, but it's just not a good fit here. And we don't want to make you frustrated and we don't want to be frustrated. And sometimes that's the best thing you can do. And if you were to approach it that way, I'm sure that at least you're giving them an out with grace and they won't egg your store in the middle of the night. Yeah, exactly. So, but it also, sometimes it does shock them. It shocks them, you know, you're firing them as a customer. And because there is that belief that the customer is always right. And I don't know where that ever came from. It's not true. <laughs> it is not true. There, It is absolutely not true. And, you know, customer has to hold up their side of the deal, which means They've got to treat your organization with respect, treat your people with respect, understand the process. If you're going to McDonald's and you're expecting a steak dinner, well, that's a mismatch. So don't go to McDonald's, go to the steakhouse or whatever. So exactly. Good, good. So number five is shut up and listen. Yeah, well, I talk a lot, right? <laughs> we can already tell that. Well, we both do. So no worries. Well, and I think the issue really is just because you know a lot and just because you have a lot of solutions doesn't mean that you know what is really needed. And it's that old adage, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And sometimes we just have to put our hammers down and listen with an open mind for a different nuance and a different perspective. And I work really, I probably work harder at this than anything else because I am inclined to jump to solutions before I've really understood what the problem was. Yeah, and I think it's our tendency as business owners to do that or managers to do that, to have to have the answers. We have to have the answers. We have to have all the answers. And it's a really freeing experience when you make that transition between having to have all the answers to knowing you've got a team of good people that could come up with good answers as well. And your job as the owner is just a role. That doesn't mean you have to play every particular position on the football team. You play the position as owner and it just makes you different. It doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you worse. But when you realize that and you bring your team together and you listen, you know, you end up with some amazing answers that you couldn't come up with yourself. And you'll be shocked at how impactful it is for clients or employees or whoever you're talking to when they feel heard. Yeah, no doubt. That's the other benefit of listening. People really appreciate being heard. Good one. Good one. Number four, don't manage, lead. So what's the difference between leading and managing? Well, leading essentially is saying, here's our future and I will do everything I can to ensure that you have the resources and the vision and the support to get there. But what you do day to day and how you do it day to day, I'm leaving that up to you. I'm giving you the full autonomy to figure out how to structure those days. And many people need managers. Managers are really, really important. I am a terrible one. I am not detail-oriented. I barely can have my own to-do list. I don't make to-do lists because I just never complete them and then they annoy me, so I don't make them. I'm just not a good manager because I don't have that detail orientation. But I do have the ability to say, here's who we are, here's where we're going, and here's what I'm going to do to ensure that we get there. I leave the managing to those who are really good at it, who can do it in a 
productive and kind and successful way. But that's not me. And I don't try to be that because I frustrate everybody around me. No, I like that. I like that. I think I always wonder, is there a difference between a professional organization and an organization where you're managing unskilled workers? I think they need to be managed to some extent, but then you look for people who want to be led and you certainly need to lead your managers and your shift leaders to make them better. But there is an element of management, especially in a highly operational environment like car washing. There's a lot of managing that's got to be done. But you have to, I think in, in our industry, you have to balance that because it's too easy to manage. My biggest frustration as an owner was people would come to me for asking me questions. And it's like, what do you think? They're not coming to me with what they think. They want me to make the decision. And I always try to push back on that as best I can, because I want them to start making decisions because they will never become self-sufficient if they don't ever take a risk and make their own decision. I absolutely agree with that, that do not give them answers, have them be part of the solutions. But I think also the one other distinction on this is that managers are trying to maximize performance within a set of constraints. Here's what we're doing, and we want to do this really, really, really well. Leaders are looking for something that could be, that's outside of those constraints. And so I think there's always a natural tension between managers and leaders because managers are trying to perfect the current and leaders are trying to envision a new future. And oftentimes those create stress and conflict. They're very distinct sets, skill sets. Good point. I think managers are absolutely essential in terms of perfecting a way of being and doing. They say with McDonald's, how many McDonald's do you think there are worldwide? And people come up with, you know, I don't know, hundreds of millions worldwide. And the answer is there's one. There's always one McDonald's. It's always the same experience wherever you go. That's managing. That's a great point. Most of us, a lot of us in the car wash industry want to develop a consistent experience for our customers. If they're coming Monday, the experience is the same as the experience they had on Friday. So good point. I like that. So number three is create a roadmap. Be ready to change it and embrace new opportunities. So we kind of mentioned this already, you know, that it's that saying yes. And I think it's also not being afraid when things are different. And we all faced it in 2020. We had just gotten done out of a great strategic planning, what we were going to accomplish in 2020. We were going to roll out new programs. We were going to make some hires. Like we were really excited about 2020. And then COVID hit. And 2020 ended up being a completely different year and we're now a different company because of it. And so all that we accomplished to try and plan for the past, we just have crumpled up and thrown away because it's just not who we are anymore. It's just not where we're positioned anymore. So and that's okay. Some of my team really still mourn mourn that. That's hard. But I see it as this is life, man. We're now in the information business before we were in the HR consulting business. We're different now. That's a great point. And a lot of us really had trouble giving up where our plans were. It was about this time last year. We're like, oh man, this pandemic might be a real thing. <laughs> That's kind of where we were in February. Mourning what we wanted 2020 to be versus what it ended up being, I think is still frustrating, but we made it, right? So at least we've got that lesson that we were able to make our changes. We got through it. We didn't have the answers, but we were able to get through it was good. So hopefully we can take that lesson. I think as humans, we tend to not want to change, right? We have our plan. We want to execute our plan. 
want everything to be somewhat the same with little changes and 2020 just threw that up in the air. I think there's one other point on that, David, if I can make it. And that is that those of us that did survive and did thrive, actually, some of us did really well in 2020, even though it was a horrible, horrible year. But then we have this guilt around so many of us didn't survive. So many of us didn't get to keep our jobs. So many of us, you know, our kids, my kids are college and freshman. He's not having the college experience that every other college, you know, experience has been. And so there's a sort of guilt that goes along with that. And that's why I think if you're, you know, you need to be able to embrace a new change and you need to be grateful for it. And I think as long as we can practice gratitude in what we are doing and facing and moving toward, we should not feel guilty that there are others who did not do as well as we did. We should be grateful for what we've accomplished and be mindful that not all of us have enjoyed those same same benefits. That's a good point. So number two, I love it. Own your mistakes and say you're sorry. So that goes back to a lot we were talking about with business owners. We feel like we have to have all the answers. We've got to be the stoic ones. We can't be vulnerable to our team or to our customers. But but people really appreciate when you say, look, we totally messed up. That wasn't what we typically do. It's not our standards. Whether it's owner to employee or employee to customer or owner to customer, it goes a long way. Absolutely. And I will tell you, we had a situation where we were doing a recruiting project and we set the invoice for the recruiting project to the CFO who we were replacing. And the CFO did not know Oh my gosh! <laughs> what the recruiting project was for, except for the fact that it was on our invoice. Oh my gosh. So I got a call from the business owner and said, you just screwed up my day, my week, my year. Like you have no idea what you people have done. All I could say was, there is nothing I can say that can undo that. And I can only imagine what we have done. And I am so sorry. And we will change our practices. We will never do this. We will never put in our invoices what the position is for. We will use different language. We will refund all of your money. I just don't know how I can make this up to you. There is no way I can. And I understand that. And I am so, so deeply sorry. And he ended up saying, you know, it's okay. I understand you didn't mean this. I should have told you this. We continue to do the recruiting project with him and we've done two or three more since then. He's one of our best clients. And, you know, it makes me want to throw up, but I will always apologize for our mistakes and I will always apologize and try to make whole the mistakes, not only that I make, but that my team makes. If my team makes a mistake, I make a mistake. If one of my employees really screws up, it's my mistake, not theirs. I own it and I will make sure that it's made whole. I never, ever, ever throw my team under the bus, ever. And I've seen that happen. And that kind of goes to rule number one, but it's horrible when you watch somebody throw their, their team under the bus. It's, it's horrible. The, you know, the rest of the team sees it. It's like, that's when people start running for cover. And that's where you get employees doing the absolute minimum amount of effort because they're not safe. That risk. They don't feel safe. Yeah. They don't feel safe with you. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and so number one kind of goes to rule number one, which is my employees matter more than my clients. It's so true. 
that was kind of a transition for me to realize that. But once I realized if I had a healthy organization, my job as the owner was to make the organization healthy. And if the organization was healthy, they would take care of each other and they would take care of the customers. And if you had a bad employee, a good organization will take care of a bad employee. They'll self-select themselves out. I learned that lesson. You take care of your people, you defend your people. If your people didn't do the right thing, then you go to rule number two. Hey, I'm sorry. We messed up. That's, you know, I take that's my responsibility as the owner, but taking care of your employees is super important. And there's one other nuance to that, which is if you have a bad employee and you haven't dealt with that bad employee, that's not fair to all your other employees. That's right. So sometimes we have to say, this is not working. I've been covering for these mistakes, but you keep making them and I keep, we need to make another change. But I know that my team is smarter than me. My team is better than me. My team can do what I do all day long. I've got some skill sets, but I need them to do what they do. And I am grateful for them every day and they know it. And it's a wonderful blessing that I didn't anticipate 10 years ago when I started this whole project. But it's now the most important. The most important of all of these 10 things is that my employees matter more than any client that we have. I agree with that. And when you communicate that, it makes such a difference in the organization. People will run through brick walls for you if they feel like you've got their back. Absolutely. I think our job as owners sometimes is say, how do we get the very best out of our people? And that's that mindset shift that we had is how do you get the very best out of your people? Your job is to be the cheerleader, the coach, to help them achieve their very best, whether it's with you or someone else. You know, if you've got that mindset that my job is to make my employees a lot better, and if they leave and go somewhere else, then you had a part in their life to make them better. Absolutely. And once I started thinking along those lines, my life got a lot better. Their life got a lot better. (laughs) Absolutely. Very good. I love that last one. Good. Well, good 10 lessons. I appreciate you sharing that. And I think they're great lessons and can't wait to see what else happens. If people want to find out more information about Affinity HR, where would you send them? Visit our website. We're at affinityhrgroup.com. That's A, F as in Frank, F as in Frank, I-N-I-T-Y, hrgroup.com. I'm Claudia at Affinity HR Group, and we would love to chat with anyone and with any of their people challenges and hopefully hear some people successes. We're also on YouTube and on LinkedIn. Good stuff. And if you need help with your car wash with any aspect of HR or employees, she's got a full service firm, which has helped a lot of car wash companies, including ours, when we had car washes. I think it's good to have somebody you can go to to get help when you need it. So good deal, Claudia. Thank you so much. Good stuff. Appreciate it. And we'll talk soon. Thanks for the opportunity. Be well, stay safe. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Car Wash the Podcast. We'd like to get this podcast in the hands of more people in our industry. So if you will, please tell your friends and associates about the podcast. You can get Car Wash the Podcast anywhere on any platform you get podcasts or simply go to carwashpodcast.com. For Claudia and myself, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time and keep washing those cars. Car Wash the Podcast is your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. Our show helps investors, owners, operators, and managers think about ways to enhance their business. 
Our podcast is a free, on-demand audio program that provides information on the latest trends impacting the industry, tips from successful industry leaders, and inspiration for our listeners.